Welcome to Real Personal Finance. I'm your host, Scott Frank, CFP, CFA charter holder, and founder of Stone Steps Financial. And I'm your host, James Canole, CFP, MBA, and owner of Root Financial Partners. The premise of our show is simple. Money can be confusing, but it doesn't have to be. Our goal is to answer real personal financial questions that we hear from our clients and our listeners. Each episode, we answer one personal financial question in a clear and understandable way. Because money is a tool. And when you understand the language of money, you can make better decisions to improve your financial life. Hey, James. Hey, Scott. Back for another week. Yeah, here we are. Another listener. My favorite, my favorite day of the week. Mm-hmm. Podcast day. Podcast day. Uh, what question do we have today? Do you want to go over it? Do you want me yeah, to read I it? I will. Um, so today's question uh, comes from uh, Michael. Thanks for writing in, Michael. Hey, Michael. And um, he writes that my wife and I are in a good position. We focused the last decade on saving, paying down debt, and investing in tax-deferred accounts. Mid-40s, just paid off our mortgage on a $2 million house, office condo paid for worth about 400000 Two kids in elementary school with just under a million in 529 accounts. Balance, cash balance plan, IRAs, 401ks, basically retirement accounts are at uh, 4 million. And brokerage accounts of around a half million with 650,000 in cash. Income far exceeds expenses. We would like more real estate exposure. What would you guys suggest? We're literally open to anything. All right. Yeah. Well, we got some thoughts on that. We do. First off, just congrats and kudos to you for the savings rate that you have and um, where you're at. Yeah. I'm impressed with a lot of the the people that write in tend to be doing, even when they don't feel as if they're doing well, they're doing well. And yeah. I think it's because it's the type of people that take this seriously. Of course, they're listening to a podcast to start with. So mm-hmm. well done. You're you're in a great spot. Uh, one thing that I I would start with as I touched upon this is... It's almost ironic that the more the, the more successful you are, you feel as if things get more simple sometimes, mm-hmm. but sometimes they don't. There's more of a burden. There's more mm-hmm. to manage. There's more to track. There's more to have clarity around. And so the question is, what's next? Mm-hmm. I've, I've checked off the boxes. I paid off the mortgage. I've maxed out the retirement plans. Uh, we've Our expenses are lower than in our income. So almost as if, what, if we, what do we do next from mm-hmm. here? And it's a great question. Yeah. Uh, do you have any places you'd like to start? Uh, yeah, you know, I, well, cause I do if you don't first things first, I think that, well, let me, let me just back up for the, for the honest at home. Like when you think, when we think about the balance sheet that, uh, Michael and his wife have, they have about 28% of their net worth in real estate. They have about 47% in retirement accounts. They have about 13% in liquid assets. And then about 12% for that goal of sending kids to college. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we look at their balance sheet in total, I, I think it's, it could, could make sense to potentially invest more in real estate. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Um, uh, but that's where I want to stop momentarily because yep. where I want to go next is, um, I'd be interested to know what Michael and his wife want their life to look like now and in the future yes. and what they're actually building towards Yep. before, um, they look at, well, how do I get more in real estate? Cause real estate is a strategy and a tactic. Um, but I'd want to understand more about what's driving them. Yeah, I I fully agree because I think when when you are just starting, or you not know, even when you're just starting, but a lot of times there's a a common 
or a very strong recommended next step. Mm-hmm. Okay, you're not saving at all. You need to save. Okay, right. you're not maxing out your 401k. You need to do that. Okay, you're not putting anything away for college. You need to do that. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes people come to us and it's very evident what the next best thing to do should be. Mm-hmm. With this year, I'm looking at this and saying a lot of those boxes are checked. Yeah. To me, the bigger question is is less, not that it doesn't matter. It certainly matters, but it's less, what do we do with our money next? The first question is on the lifestyle side. Mm-hmm. of let's talk first about lifestyle design and what you want your life to look like and what mm-hmm. things you want to be able to doing and what what your values are what's important to you and then let's go back to this amazing balance sheet you've built and this success that you've had to make sure that everything lines up with it yeah so that would be the first thing now we of course from this question don't know exactly what that looks like um so we'll focus on the financial side but to me that would be the number one thing to address is does everything as it stands today Make you wake up in the morning excited for what you're doing. Yep. If so, great. Let's keep saving. Let's keep growing. Let's keep investing. If the answer is no, maybe it's a career thing. Maybe it's where you live. Maybe it's there's something wrong. Well, can we address that first and use your finances as a way of maybe starting something new or making a change mm-hmm. and then come back to it? Yeah. I think, and to your point, to get out of status quo too, I don't know that Michael needs this because he probably he may or may not, but what you're getting at is look big picture at what do I really want? And I always come back to time, money, energy, and talent. Are you optimizing those things for yourself right now to the best of your ability? And then your spouse, are they doing the same thing? Be supportive of each other doing that. Then go look at your balance sheet. And you want to look at your balance sheet to ask the question, is this balance sheet and my income and my tax strategy, are all of these things supporting the life that we want to be working toward? Right. Right? Right. And um, Michael and his wife are in a position where they have some great opportunities ahead of them. Right. Right, yeah. right. Um, so let's talk about, well, there's different sides of real estate. I've got some other thoughts kind of outside the real estate piece, but should we just jump into the real estate now? Sure. Or Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, one thing I want to do when we start heading into real estate is I just want to, I almost want to do like a mini pause as we're transitioning into the things that you could potentially invest in. Reason being, um, we, well, okay, so I'm 41. When my parents got their first mortgage it was in the teens mm-hmm. um and i just want to explain a touch on like how <laughs> how real estate kind of works right so so for most people who buy real estate they're going to buy it with with um some type of leverage usually it's called a mortgage right yep um and a mortgage is determined by there's a there's a debt to income ratio for most of us where they just simply where we simply determine or a bank will determine, hey, based on your ability to pay, so whether you're a business who's actually running real estate as a business and is going to have p- tenants in your building paying, they're going to want to see a certain f- level of performance with some reserves to go ahead and pay that, Yep. whatever that loan amount is. Um, and f- if we're a, a mortgage owner, like if we're just buying a house, they're gonna the bank's going to come to us and say, hey, uh, James, you made make up a number uh 75 grand last year well you can then afford up to x because you can make this payment every year and the payment amount is that an interest rate matters right because the interest rate helps dictate how big the payment rate amount stays the same but the percentage of interest is either larger or smaller right right so from when i was a kid up to today interest rates have just gone down 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 now there's been periods where it's obviously gone up and down kind of along the way but now we're at, again we're at almost all time lows yeah and so what's happened is as we've gone through this last 30 40 years 
everyone every this every time they show up to go buy another place can buy more for the same amount of income. Right. Right. And that's just made it so that it's you it's it's almost like, well, how can how ha- how can housing ever go wrong? <laughs> right. <laughs> or or real estate. It's always gonna go up. And I just want to give a big caveat that like interest rates and and like dual income households have helped drive what we've seen to be a great rate of return for a lot of real estate. And unless you think interest rates can keep going down to negative uh, and, and that there's going to be a third person in the household making income, mm-hmm. it makes it harder and harder for prices to keep going up forever. Yeah. Or at least at the rate that they have gone up. Yeah. And what I, I guess what I mean by that is if I take it back a touch more before I was a kid, uh, most real estate really appreciated it about inflation. And then if you ran it well as a real estate investor, you could still make cash off of the property, mm-hmm. right? But lately, we've seen a lot of appreciation just in the price of the buildings themselves, as well as you could still make some money off of the properties functioning. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Okay. Um, so let's talk about the different ways that you could invest in that and what you're talking about. Because I see what you're, what you're saying is real estate's done tremendously well. Real estate can be a great investment. No investment does nothing but go up forever. There right. will be some ups and downs. Yeah. And part of the driver of real estate's appreciation is interest rates falling. Yes. Because people are buying payments less than they're actually buying the price of the property that they are investing in. That being said, there's a few different ways you can buy real estate. And it looks like Michael knows this because he, of course, has his home. He has his office condo. So that's already part of his plan. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that we can invest in real estate if this is something that makes sense for us? Yeah. So the simplest way you can invest in real estate is you can actually invest in other people's real estate or a real estate, a company that invests in real estate. Yeah. And that's through, and there's actually a, a an, you can go buy it on an exchange. Um, and what's something that's called a real estate investment trust. Yes. A REIT. Yes. REIT for short. Yeah. Yeah. And what a real estate investment trust does is it will take a pool of cash from a lot of people. It will buy buildings. It can buy buildings and lever them just like um, you lever your house when you get a mortgage. Uh, And then what it'll do is it will run the buildings. Mm -hmm. Um, And then what will happen is the net profits that come in, it has to send out the majority of the net profits to the owners of the real estate investment trust. Exactly. And with REITs, you have two main types. Well, only two types, I guess. You have publicly traded REITs. And you have non-publicly traded REITs. Mm-hmm. If you go get a publicly traded REIT, it trades on exchange like a stock does, and you're owning a fund that then owns companies that invest in real estate. Yeah. So it might own companies like Public Storage, or it might own companies like Simon Property Group, or like Well Tower, or these big companies that rent, lease, manage real estate. Mm-hmm. So it's a way to get exposure to real estate without having to go identify a property for yourself. You're getting indirectly through the companies that you own inside of your REIT. Or you can own a non-traded REIT, which is publicly traded REITs. They're able to trade on exchange because you're literally owning a bunch of stocks that trade on exchange. If you want that actual access to real estate, you're buying a non-traded REIT. You're pooling your money with other investors. It's then being used to purchase office buildings, commercial buildings, hospital buildings, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Each REIT typically has some objective. And that's another way to, to own REITs, which can be good. You also have to be weary of it. We've seen a lot of advisors sell these things because they'll pay huge commissions to advisors sometimes they're yeah. not necessarily the best investments for uh, the end client or the the investor himself right. but a couple ways to do it i think 
pros and cons with this when you're owning a REIT. It's passive. You know, you're not having to find tenants. It actually is passive. It's truly passive. The, one, the, the main form of, of real estate that actually is passive. Yeah. Yes. It, which is great. You, you're not having to spend your time finding a tenant, fixing the property, uh, figuring out what to do if there's a, a leak or something on the roof. That's just, that's managed. You're paying right. for it, but it's managed. Right. On the tax side, usually it's not as tax, it's not as beneficial from a it's tax It's not standpoint. as tax efficient, No. 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 The dividends you're receiving or the income, it's not going to be taxed at capital gains or it's not going to be deferred. Right. Which, you know, looking at Michael, guessing is in a higher tax bracket, talking about some of the things happening here, maybe, maybe, maybe not the best thing to do. It, well, but one way they could be, so if, if let's say that we don't know what Mike, and of course, all of this is not advice for specifically for Michael, because we don't know Michael well enough to give him advice. But if he decided he wanted to use REITs, one of the things he could do is he could use REITs perhaps in his qualified retirement accounts, which right. would then not have to pay all of that and get real estate exposure. Right. One simple way to do it. One, exactly. That's one simple way to do it. doesn't care how tax efficient it is at that point because it's in a tax deferred account. Yeah. Uh, that is one way. The Another way is just direct investment. Yep. This is usually the way people are talking about, should I own... Real estate, they're talking about tangibly owning a piece of property. This is when people come in or write in and they go, I just want to have passive income. Yes. And so the 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 holy grail in our mind is I'm going to walk down the street, see a house I can buy for nothing or not a lot of money. <laughs> I can rent it for a huge amount of money and it costs me basically nothing to do so and it requires none of my time. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say direct investment would be like single family homes, duplexes, triplexes, maybe up to a quad. Once you cross over that, you're moving into more of like a true real estate. Commercial yeah, type stuff. Property. Yeah. Yeah. And and I would say that there, this is to me, and you may have different thoughts, but, but to me, this is where the most return potential exists because the return when you invest directly in real estate from from what I see, comes from four main components. One is the appreciation of the property. Yep. So you buy something, it goes up in value over time. That's one aspect of the return. Mm-hmm. Two is what you rent it for. So just cash on cash return, just yep. the income that you're going to receive. That's that's an investment or that's income that translates into investment return. Uh, depreciation is big for real estate investors. So mm-hmm. being able to depreciate helps you on the tax standpoint because it reduces the taxes owed on the income there. So just to be clear, like if I have a high income, Maybe I make a half million dollars a year, something like that, and I get a rental property, and it earns income. And I maybe I, let's just say I don't know three thousand a month, so thirty six grand. Um, I'm probably going to get to. I probably won't have to count that as income for myself because right. I'm going to have costs of running it, but I also get to write off depreciation, right? Which is saying that the house, the building I bought's worth. I don't know. Let's just make up a number. 300 grand. Well, for 27 and a half years, I get to divide by that 300 grand by 27 and a half and write off whatever that dollar amount is, which I can call 11,000, dollars Yeah. Good job for knowing what the real number is because <laughs> I now need to know what the actual number is. Yeah. 10, nine. You were close. I was, yeah. You're well, really close. So I get to write off that 10, nine. So now I don't have to pay as much in taxes on my income yeah. or I get other costs, yeah. which is a return. You know, and that when you're looking at that, that helps you. So that's that's adding to your return. And then the final piece and why it has the potential to do so amazingly well is a leverage aspect of your borrowing money to make money. So you could put 20% down, mm-hmm. borrow 80%. 25. 25. Close. So whatever you get, whatever return you get, 
it's just magnified because you didn't have to put down a hundred percent of the the value of the property. So that that's why there's so much return You're potential. It sounds so good. The flip side to that is there's more risk because of that. <laughs> yes, absolutely. So we saw that in 2008, how many people lost properties or had to short sell or had to walk away from a property. Mm-hmm. Um, you see that in some markets still in the US that just haven't fully recovered. So it's easy to say, oh my gosh, everything's just going up. I should just borrow money, get something. And if things only go up, hey, the model works out perfect and you're just collecting paychecks. Right. But when that doesn't happen, that's where you run into trouble. But the main issue well, I shouldn't say main issue because that is a big issue. I think to us, the bigger issue is the sense that it's passive. Right. This really isn't that passive. It's almost like a full-time to part-time job sometimes managing some of these properties. And so that's the bigger question of, of course, you should get compensated more doing this than you could in a simple unmanaged stock market index, for example. But how much of that is a time premium or an energy premium or just... You're getting that higher return because you're having to expend more time and effort and energy to do so. Yeah, you know where I would actually, I would actually just add to what you're saying a little bit more. Because one, one of the things is like you can choose if you wanted to buy a direct investment, you can hire a property manager. It's just the moment you hire a property manager, your costs went up. They're usually like eight to ten percent of your annual rents. It's typically, like what a, a property manager costs. So we get to have our rent. But then we get to pay the mortgage, pay the property taxes, pay the insurance, um, utilities or not. You could decide whether that flows through for you or someone else. There's a maintenance cost just keeping the house up to date because it is an asset, but it depreciates and stuff goes wrong. Yep. Um, And then there's the the cost. So like you really need to know the rent minus the cost. That's your cash flow. Yep. And then once you know that, then you'll know like the value. Now you get the appreciation, but you also get the cash flow. You get both. And you do get the benefits that you were saying on the leverage for the rate of return. If so long as we don't get upside down on it, you're, you're doing great. I think one of the keys I want to me- mention those, cause you, you mentioned it, you said you should make more than investing in the stock market or in REITs. And one of the questions I will always ask people when they're looking to buy a house is what is the expected rate of return for this property? Because what the price that you pay to buy a property almost always makes or breaks the property. If you buy a house for too much with too much leverage and you can't get a good, a, a decent rent, it's never going to be a good investment, right? But if you can buy something that gives you a good rate of return, gives you a good appreciation, you put yourself in a position to win. Real estate's one of those spaces where like the price that you buy really matters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so those are just some ways that you can invest in real estate. You know, people say, I want to own more real estate. There's not one single defined way that that can happen. Yeah. Another way that you could invest in real estate as well is through syndications. So syndications, unlike like non-traded REITs, it would be investing in specific deals. So, you know, there are companies out there whose job is to have like, for instance, my my father-in-law actually used to do this for a living. Um, he would buy multifamily, off, uh, pardon, pardon me, multifamily um, units, apartment complexes. Mm-hmm. And he specifically did it in Tucson in the 90s around the college campuses. And so he would go and he would put together, he would go search out spots and he would, he would sit, he would find a deal that was worth doing where he could get good rents and good cash flow and all those things. He was the general partner and he would go out to investors who were accredited investors. Accredited investors are people who have sit, hit certain requirements so that they're allowed to go invest in riskier things so that they, cause their money's going to get tied up for a while. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he would go and he would get limited partners. They would invest with him. 
to, enough to the point where they could go get a note on the building. He would go run it. They would get their rate of return. The thing it is passive. Uh, you have to pay the general partner a fee. And the other thing is it's illiquid, mm-hmm. right? There's a long period of time where you're not getting anything. Yeah. So, and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Which there's none of, none of these options are better or worse in our opinion. They just have different use cases yeah. and c- can be applied differently. So I, you know, going back to the question that, that Michael asked is what's next, right? I'm going to take it more high level and say, well, what's the right way to go about it? It, it fully depends. So yeah, me, for example, that's exactly where I am. I yeah. look at this and I almost think of it in my own life. Not that this should be the way Michael does it or Scott does it or anyone does it. I view what I'm doing for work in my business as th- where I'm going to invest my time, energy, talent, even financial resources. Because to me, this is going to be the greatest rate of return that I have. Yeah. And every other investment I have is going to be something that is fully passive. Mm-hmm. It's going to be my 401k, Roth IRA, broker stuff. At least as things stand today. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to be distracted from the thing that I enjoy doing the most that's going to generate the greatest rate of return, which is my business. And I don't want to be taken away from things like family or friends or things I enjoy doing outside of the business. So I've structured my financial strategy around what I want my life to look at, mm-hmm. look like, how much time I want to spend in the business and what I want to be doing outside of that. So not saying that everyone should take that same approach, but if I'm advising Michael, obviously no specific recommendations, but I would start with what do you want your life to look like? Mm-hmm. Do you want to add additional layers of complexity? There's no problem with it. If you want to start adding direct investment in real estate, if you're going to do it though, I would just say have an intentional purpose because I've seen too many people do it almost for the sake of collecting things. Yeah. Of, okay, my net worth's at a certain level. I need to collect more different types of investments. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is what you've done at a million dollars of net worth to five million to it looks like about eight and a half million dollars or so of, of net worth here from Michael. That same thing could take you to double that, triple that, quadruple yeah, no, that. You're right. It, it if you stop. wanted to, it doesn't stop. And, and to your point, I would similarly to your vein. The thing I would want to know is where where are Michael and his wife now? What do they need to get to where financial freedom truly exists for them, or are they already there? And then once we know that, then look at well, once you're there, what do you want to do next, and why? Yeah. Do you want to start creating generational wealth? Do you want to start giving more time and energy and talent to the community at large and other people because you're no longer worried about yourself? Do you want, um, you know, is there a business that we don't even know about mm-hmm. where you could be directing some of your funds, you know, keep directing some of your funds for growing out your own sustainability and your own financial independence, but then reinvest back in your company to create even more net worth for yourself? We just don't know. Yeah. And to your point, that's where the conversation in my mind, that's where it would be going is what really drives you, what's going to get you to the life that you want to live, then go look at what you should do with these extra assets. Yeah. Because could real estate be good? Yeah, it could. Like you you could plug real estate into these numbers we see here and it can make a ton of sense. You could do nothing with real estate and still continue building wealth and still continue doing well yeah. and not be missing anything from a financial perspective. Yeah. I think that as your net worth grows, what I see changing the most isn't necessarily what the best types of investments are, because like I said, the investments that served you well at a million dollars of net worth could still serve you very well at 10 million or $50 million of net worth. Yeah. 
it's tax strategies, it's estate planning strategies. That's where the most value can be added is. But the biggest thing, more so than all of those, is the lifestyle side. The mm-hmm. are you being intentional about your finances reflecting what you want to be able to do in life? And maybe what you want to do is have really cool investments and invest in real estate and invest in other businesses. And invest, like that, that's a totally fine answer. Mm-hmm. But just make sure that it's something you're being intentional about as opposed to just, okay, I'm now doing the next thing. I'm now collecting the next thing because I've done everything else already. Fully agree. And the only thing, only thing I would add is if uh, when Michael does this soul searching, you know, uh, he fi- or if he has a financial planner and he does it with his financial planner together, because that's always a good thing for this type of situation too. If they find that, yep, real estate's the next thing, know the markers by which you're going to um, evaluate real estate investments to know whether or not it's a good time to get in if you're going to do more of those direct style of investing. Yeah, I fully agree. Um, so I would say, Michael, very well done. Obviously, you've done a great job of saving, investing. Um, financially, it doesn't appear as if you are missing anything. Just make sure that what you're doing is allowing you to live the life that you want to live. And if so, great. Um, is real estate good? It, it, it can be good. It could be part of your plan. So could these other things that you're doing, continuing to save your brokerage account, anything else, but really aligning your money with your life, which was an episode that we did that um, I think a lot of people liked. That's That would be the key takeaway here is, is everything a reflection of what you want your finances to be able to do for you? So sounds a little soapboxy, but I think that's the most important thing as I'm seeing this question. Yeah. But you know, I mean, it's not though, because at the end of the day, uh, personal finance is 90% personal and 10% finance. And so it really does come back to what matters most to them and helping them figure out what they should do next. And yeah. we're, we're giving the framework for looking at real estate, but go back big picture and take a look at what you want to do next. Yeah. Take it from there. Absolutely. Cool. Well, anything else? That's it. All right. Thank you, Michael, for the question. And thank you everyone else for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Real Personal Finance Podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a five-star review. And if you have a question that you'd like for us to answer, then head over to the Real Personal Finance website at realpersonalfinance.co. And there's a section on the bottom of each page there where you can submit your question for us to answer in a future episode. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and should not be relied upon for a basis for investment decision. This podcast is not engaged in rendering legal, financial, or other professional services.